All the rabbis and teachers of the law knew where the Messiah was to be born. Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5.2 make it clear that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the King of the Universe. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. All who become Christians enter the kingdom of God. Jesus himself is the king that we serve. Indeed, Jesus tells all believers that their only pursuit should be the constant seeking after the kingdom of God. In this life, it must always be a never-ending pursuit. Every waking moment must be devoted to doing the will of the King of Kings. In so doing, King Jesus tells us that all of our needs shall be taken care of by our Father in Heaven. Is Jesus Messiah your King? Can you prove it? Well, here we are, the last uh, message in the series called Word Made Flesh. My uh, first recollection of the idea of a kingdom or of royalty is, uh, came to me around the year 1966. I was about four years old, and um, my grandmother had a picture on her wall, and I'm going to show it to you. And it is a picture of the queen, current queen as a little girl with her mom and dad and her little sister. And I, I wondered why it had this prominent place in her dining room. It was right over the buffet, uh, and, uh, and there it was. It really was the very first thing you saw when, when you came into uh, her living room. And I was intrigued to learn that, that this little girl was our present queen, and that this picture hung in such a prominent place. Why was that? Well, because she's the queen. And uh, some of you who are uh, royalists, like my wife, you will know that the queen is 95 years old, and she has been reigning for nearly 70 years. In fact, February the 6th of next year will mark 70 years of reign over the British kingdom. Now, as important as the queen is, and as important as the royal family is, the story of Christmas is really about the reestablishing of a far greater kingdom. And you heard me right, the reestablishing of a far greater kingdom. And we call that kingdom the kingdom of God, or as Matthew's gospel says, the kingdom of heaven. The whole gospel of Matthew is really the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to understand what what our role as a Christian is in this kingdom. But I want you to understand that Christmas really is the story about the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christianity is all about. So let me just quickly remind you of a few verses that we looked at from Genesis 49 and Isaiah 9. And Jacob is prophesying over his sons And when he gets to Judah, here's what he says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come. And who is that person? Jesus, that's right. And then he goes on to say something that I'm sure that nobody fully understood, but he said, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So you, you understand right off the bat, the first book of the Bible is talking about the establishment of, uh, or the reestablishment of God's kingdom. So we go through the Gospel of Matthew and we find that the term kingdom is used 55 times. There's no book in the Bible that, that has that term mentioned so many times. And, and there's only actually three chapters that don't include the term kingdom. Matthew uh, chapter 14 and 15 and chapter 17. However, if you look at those chapters, you will see that there's kingdom activity going on in those chapters. So Matthew begins with the breakthrough of Christ's kingdom, the very first words of the gospel of Matthew is this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. In your Bible, it might say Christ Jesus. Christ is Greek, Christos, meaning anointed one. It means exactly the same thing as Messiah. I like the way the NLT translated it and calls him Messiah. He, who is a descendant of King David? Now, I'm going to go back for a moment. I want you to see Isaiah 9, 7a. And it says about King Jesus, his government and his peace will never end. It's an eternal rule. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Now, a lot of you have read through the Bible and you've never noticed that. You've never seen that. That it's talking about the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. But it's not happening yet. It's going to happen in the future. And it's going to include all the nations. And then again in verse 18 of chapter 1, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. And it goes on to show the story. And we talked about that over the past few weeks. And then you get to Matthew chapter 2. And once again, the theme of Jesus the King comes up. Verse, verses 1 and 2, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, you, you're really starting to get the feel of this. This is a gospel about the establishment or the reestablishment of Christ's kingdom. And you know, I know some of you are wondering, why does this keep saying reestablishment? Well, you'll see it in just a moment. But I want to show you what happens in chapter 3. So chapter 1 is all about the kingdom. Chapter 2 is about the birth of the king. Chapter 3, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And it says, he came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message which was repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. So I said to you that this is all about the reestablishing of God's kingdom. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the whole Bible is interconnected. Some people think it's just a collection of interesting books, books of, books of history, some books of poetry, some books of wisdom, but what you need to see is that there is a flow to the whole Bible from Genesis right on to the book of Revelation. And what you need to understand is what is this kingdom? So in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to start at the beginning. And I want to remind you, Adam and Eve were created 
in the Garden of Eden, and they, uh, they lived there. It was their home. In fact, the Garden of Eden is understood by the Jews to be, in fact, the kingdom of God. It's, or another way of putting it, it's his throne room. It's where he rules on earth. Does everybody get that? It's God's presence is on earth in the Garden of Eden. And the reason that Adam and Eve are able to dwell with Christ or dwell with God, and yes, uh, many scholars would say that it was Jesus that would go for walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. The reason that Adam and Eve were able to dwell with God in his presence is because they were without sin. So everybody gets that. Nobody who is a sinner can come into God's presence. You need to understand that. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. So here we have... In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see God's kingdom on earth, and his kingdom is called the Garden of Eden. That's where he dwelt. That's where he reigned. Now, God says to them that they are to multiply and spread his kingdom. Let's look at this verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I want you to see something. I want you to see the language here. That word govern in the Hebrew is actually subdue. And the word reign here is actually the word to sway. So what are we saying here? We're saying that Adam and Eve were appointed by God to to spread his kingdom throughout the world, a sinless people who belong to God. This was his kingdom. A lot of people don't understand that. And God says, you are to govern over it. You are to subdue it. You are to govern. And you are to hold sway. That word sway, hold sway, means to have power and authority, to take responsibility for this kingdom. But you know what happened. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, it says that they actually gave the rule of the earth to Satan. A lot of people don't know that. Let me read to you Luke chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Satan said to Jesus, to you, remember Satan is tempting Jesus? He says, to you, I will give all the authority and the glory of all the kingdoms. I will give it to you. And he says, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Well, a lot of people read over that. You don't know what that means. Now you know. Adam and Eve handed over the government of this world, the the governing and the reigning, handed it over to Satan in the Garden of Eden. And so since that time, my friends, Satan has, has been subduing the world and holding sway. He has been holding humanity in captivity. Does everybody understand that? All of humanity is held in captivity. In fact, he is the prince of the air, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He's the prince of the air. He's the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. So all who do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, all who do not worship the Lord Jesus Christ are sons of disobedience. You are sons, as Jesus would say, of your father, Satan. Now, when you become a Christian, no longer does the spirit of Satan 
who's at work in the sons of disobedience, no longer is that spirit at work in you. When you became a Christian, you received the spirit of God. It's God's spirit that now rules in you. And the only way that that you and I could possibly be loyal subjects to the King of Kings is if you and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, Satan is terrified. Can I just tell everybody that? Along comes Jesus, and the the Magi are coming to worship him. John is announcing that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom. Satan knows what all that means. He remembers when the kingdom was handed over to him. And so here's what happens. He comes after Jesus to tempt him. Matthew 4, verse 8 and 9. See that? Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, verses 8 and 9. Satan is now, this is the third temptation. And the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan says, I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. Now, I want you to see something. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Rather than worship God, and how do we worship God? It begins with obeying God, trusting God, doing what he says. But rather than obeying God and trusting God and believing that God had the best, their best interests at heart, they chose to believe Satan and, uh, instead. You folks, this is really the battle that's going on. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief, a matter of trust. Do you trust Satan or do you trust God? Have you put your faith in Christ or have you put your faith in the prince of darkness? Understand something, folks. Christmas is all about a mighty battle. Many people don't get that. You think of, oh, the little baby little baby Jesus. It's not offensive to anybody. It doesn't terrify. It doesn't intimidate anybody because it's just a little baby. What they don't understand is that Jesus is born to be the king of the universe and definitely the kingdoms of all the kingdoms of this world. And so Satan says, come, kneel down and worship me, and I'll give you all, all the kingdoms. And here's the catch. Satan's still in charge. So, Adam and Eve worship Satan, and we always worship the one that we believe and trust and love. That's why Jesus says you can't love God and money. You're going to worship one or worship the other. So, Satan is, is tempting Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. He says, get out of here, Satan. How many know that that's what you're supposed to do when Satan comes tempting? Get out of here, Satan. Can you say that with me? Get out of here, Satan. Pretty simple, isn't it? But you say it in the power of God, the the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then it says, the devil just went away. Did you know it's that easy? Satan, I'm I'm not listening to you. I'm not giving in to this temptation. My Bible tells me that I must worship the Lord my God and him only. Now that is what Adam and Eve should have said to Satan in the Garden of Eden. And that's what you should have said last time you were tempted. 
Now, the good news is that you're getting better and better. You're not perfect yet, but that's the direction you're moving. Remember, this is what repentance is. You're going the wrong way, you repent, and now you're going towards God. And every day, every step towards the King of Kings means that you are becoming more and more like him, and you are becoming what we call sanctified. So we understand then that that Satan is trying to stop Jesus dead in his tracks. But Jesus says, no, I've come here to reestablish my kingdom. Now, just for a moment, because we're going through the whole book of Matthew this morning. I've never done this before, going through the whole gospel in one morning. I want to just fast forward to the end here for a moment. Because when we get to the very end, Matthew 28, verses 17 to 20, Jesus now is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He, he meets his disciples on the, uh, on the mount, and it says that when they saw him, they worshiped him. Did you get that? Satan says, you worship me, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm the king. You worship me. You bend your knee to me because I am the king. And that's exactly what happens here, folks. We get to the end of the chapter, and we see the disciples bending their knee to the king of kings and worshiping him. Very, very important that you understand that. Now watch this, watch this. Think of the, 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 the verse I just read to you from Genesis 1.28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority. Now, did you, did, Satan said, I've been given the authority, but Jesus has just arisen from the dead, and now he's saying, I got the authority now. I got it back. I died. I was put in a grave I was resurrected, and I got the authority back. Okay, I'm going to talk about more of this in just a moment. It's so thrilling. But Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. What's Jesus saying? It's what God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28. Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. That's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28. Verse 17, 18, and 19. I don't know about you, but this is pretty thrilling stuff. So the kingdom is ripped away from Adam and Eve, and Jesus comes into the world, and he's saying, ready to do battle, ready to conquer Satan, who has, has bewitched and harmed and hurt and devastated all of humanity. So, We get on to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What's Jesus doing here, folks? He is doing a frontal attack, a head-to-head with Satan. All the things that Satan controlled, all the things, all the evil that Satan has brought to this world, disease and sickness and death, Jesus now is one by one knocking them off. He's saying, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. Your people are dying. I'm in charge. I can resurrect them. You're sick. I can heal you. It's storming out. I can calm the storm. I can even walk on water. You see what I'm saying here? This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and this is the kingdom that you and I belong to. If you're converted, if you're born again. And then down to verse 23, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, 
and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Now, what is the good news, folks? Now, some people think the good news is that Jesus healed every kind of disease and illness. Well, that is definitely part of it, but that is not the main good news. The main good news is that Satan's evil hand, his evil grip, his evil hold on this earth is now coming to an end. Hallelujah. That's what Christmas is about, the establishment, the birth of the king, and the birth of the kingdom of God. And then we go through the Sermon on the Mount, which most of us are familiar with. We did a whole series on that last summer, Matthew 5 to 7. Jesus talks about the kingdom eight times. 5, 6, and 7, get to chapter 8. Jesus shows that he's the new master. He's the new sheriff in town. Listen to this. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. How could Satan do that? Well, he was the prince of darkness. But along comes Jesus. They began screaming at him. Watch this. The Jewish people didn't know who he was, but the demons knew who he was. Satan knew who he was. Oh, yeah, he knew. They say, why are you interrupting or interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? They knew. They know that their destruction is the lake of fire. All right, go, Jesus says. Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs as they asked. And the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And the herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed man. What would you do? What would be your response? I'm going to tell you, the response here is not what I would have expected. It says, then the entire town came out to meet Jesus. And rather than worshiping him as the one who conquered Satan, they begged him to go away and leave them alone. This is one of the most perplexing questions that I, that in the whole Bible, why would these people who have witnessed Jesus overcoming the powers of darkness and doing this miracle, why would they not fall on their face and worship him? And folks, this is so often the way it is with so many people. I hear people say this all the time, just give me a sign and, I'll, and then I'll be a Christian. And Jesus says, no, for those of you who keep demanding a sign, you're not getting any sign. What you need to do is look at the evidence of who Jesus is, understand that he is the king, and he has, in fact, proven himself the king. In fact, all the prophecies, and we've been talking about this for seven weeks, all the prophecies that that came 700 to 1,000 years before Christ was even born all talk about the coming of Jesus. What more signs do you need? You don't need more signs. What you need to do is just bend your knee and kneel down to the king of kings. It's that plain and that simple. And then we move on. And the good news is that not everybody had the same response to Jesus' miracles. We read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, about another demon-possessed man. He was blind and couldn't speak. He was brought to Jesus, and it says Jesus healed the man 
so that he could speak and see. And this time, listen to the response of the crowd. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Could it be him? Of course, we know the answer to that. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the king of kings. He has power over in heaven and on earth. He's got power over everything. The power that Satan had, Jesus is now taking it as his own. And then we get to the parables. And so many people have misread the parables. They've misunderstood the parables. And they use a parable to apply to their to, to how they live their life, how they can be stronger, better, more successful. But folks, that is a total misreading of the parables. Jesus gives these parables to help us understand what the kingdom of God really is. And he spoke in these parables, and not everybody understood them. Certainly his disciples didn't always understand them. And so we read in chapter 13, verse 10, his disciples came and asked Jesus, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Folks, I just want to give you a warning right now. You are hearing the word of God, and it's being explained to you. And Jesus is telling us that we who are children of the kingdom of God are called to be a people who hear the word of God. Now, I've got to tell you, you, it's impossible for you to follow Jesus Christ and be ignorant of the words of Christ. It's not possible. And every single person I've ever known who has backslidden and fallen away from God, every single one of them, at some point along the line, stopped following Jesus. Stop listening to Jesus. Stop hearing the word of God. Well, then we fast forward to Matthew chapter 17. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And suddenly, you know what happened? The men were watching, and suddenly Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they were talking about, and we can guess at what they were talking about. The fact is we don't know what they were talking about. And obviously, this display of Jesus' appearance being transformed so that his face shone like the sun, was not just for the sake of those few disciples that were with him, no. And this is, what, this is something that, that has, I've had so many people ask me this, what does this mean? Well, I'm gonna tell you that Jesus' transfiguration, his transformation into this, into this, this obviously divine being, supernatural being, was not for the sake of humans, no. I mean, here's Moses appearing with, Moses is dead, but now he's appearing and talking to Jesus. What's going on here? Not for the sake of, of Peter, because he didn't have a clue what was going on. He wanted to build three shelters, one for each of them. He didn't have a clue. But I'm telling you what's going on here, folks. Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet. What does that mean? 
Well, in medieval terms, a knight would have his, his, his armor on and his gloves were armored gloves and those gloves were called gauntlets. And when that medieval knight would throw down the gauntlet, what's he saying? He says, I'm challenging you to a duel. This is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is now poking the bear. He's provoking Satan. He's saying to Satan and to the powers of heaven, come and get me. Come and get me. And this is exactly what happens. Jesus now is making it clear to Satan and to all the powers of darkness, all these supernatural beings, that he is the Messiah. And what happens next? Well, more parables, more teachings, more miracles, more signs of his power, more signs of his authority over the world. And remember, this is what Jesus is doing. This is why we see him doing these signs and these wonders. Some people think it's just because God wanted everybody healed. But the fact is, God didn't heal everybody. Jesus is doing these signs for his glory and his honor. Does everybody get that? And so many people read that. I don't know why I'm not healed. I mean, this is, everybody that came to Jesus was healed. Well, you don't understand the purpose or the point of these miracles. It was to establish himself as the authority in heaven over heaven and over earth. And so... Chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples for the third time, I'm going to die. They don't want to hear that, but he's now told them three times. And then we get to the next chapter, chapter 21, verses 7 to 9. And it says, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus has, has announced, I'm here, and then he comes into Jerusalem. We call it the what? The triumphal entry. Remember that? And the people, the crowd, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted what? Hosanna to the son of David. Here we are back to the son of David, King David. Matthew chapter one, verse one, begins that Jesus the Messiah is in the line of the son of David. Everybody knew what this meant. You and I don't know because we're not Jewish and we don't understand any of this, but they're saying, this is the one. Hosanna, which means save us, son of David. Rescue us. Now, the problem is, is that they thought that they needed rescuing from the Romans, but what they really needed was rescuing from a far worse dictator, a far worse tyrant. His name is Satan. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest was their praise. Folks, I want you to see something really cool. This scene of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is none other than, or nothing less than, a royal procession. We see this in uh, 2 Kings 9.13. Jehu has been uh, anointed as the new king in Israel. And it says in verse 19 of 2 Kings 9, then they quickly spread their cloaks on the bare steps and they blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. Everybody knew what was going on here. And I'm going to tell you, Satan certainly understood what was going on here. And so we read that this is, in fact, another fulfillment of prophecy. 
Zechariah 9.9, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. How many know that Jesus is victorious? He's victorious even before he goes to the cross. Do you understand that? Where is he first victorious? He's victorious in the wilderness at the temptation when Satan said, bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. And Jesus says, no, get out of here, Satan. The Bible says, don't worship anyone but God alone. Satan knew he was in big trouble at that very moment. And so now here he is, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, that he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding... Okay, we've got lots of today. Here we go. Satan doesn't like us when we, when we, when we uh, put him in his place, amen? So here is Jesus fulfilling, fulfilling this prophecy. Six days from that moment, Satan launches his deadly attack. And you know what happens. He's marching into Jerusalem in the so-called triumphant or triumphal entry. And by the end of the week, Jesus has been arrested. He's been viciously crucified, whipped, beaten, crown of thorns on his head, and then he's spiked to a cross. And Jesus is hanging on that cross. And Satan is like, and all the devils of hell are shouting for for glee and for joy, we got him. We finished him off. We finished off the first Adam. We finished off the second Adam. And Jesus is hanging on the cross, and then suddenly he says, just before he dies, it is finished. My work is completed. It's interesting. That's exactly what happened when Jesus created the earth. After six days, he said, it's, it's done. We're going to have a rest now. And now Jesus has completed his work on earth, and he says, it's finished. My work is done. Satan believes that he's defeated Jesus, and then Jesus is buried. And then something happens on the third day. A mighty earthquake, and it terrifies everyone. And folks, because Jesus is without sin, the grave couldn't keep him down. The earth quaked. It's as if the earth said, I can't keep you, and spit Jesus out again. No grave can hold Jesus down because he's, he's the perfect one. Remember, we talked about the lamb of God without, without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, without any kind of sin. And so, therefore, the grave can't keep him down. Jesus is now taking back the world. And we read about it in Revelation 12. Remember Satan the dragon? It says that then a war broke out in heaven. I believe that's exactly when the war was happening, while Jesus was in the grave. The war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, and he was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Folks, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Jesus. 
This is the kingdom that you and I belong to. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to reestablish. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and Jesus says, now I'm going to bring you all back. And when you get to the end of your Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, we have there a description of the Garden of Eden. Where is and wherein is the tree of what? Of life, where we will eat of it and live forever. Remember, there were two trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God said, after they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they had to be kicked up lest they eat from the tree of life. So that tree of life has been waiting for us all these millennia. And someday, folks, when you and I die and go and stand before the Lord as people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we will be glorified, we'll be given new bodies, and we shall eat from the tree of life and live forever with our God in eternity. Somebody say hallelujah. That's Christmas. And this, my friends, is a celebration of the kingdom that you and I belong to. Satan's a defeated foe. And the only power he has now, folks, is the power you give him. You don't need to be afraid, but if you are gonna be afraid, you're just giving Satan power. Jesus tells us to be not afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't need to give into temptation. Satan doesn't have to have a hold on you. He doesn't have to have any power over you because Jesus has set us free. He's, he has broken Satan's power over us. And folks, for those that are or, or have experienced demonic activity in their life, God has given us as Christians the ability and the power and the authority to set them free. Remember in the Philippines, Judy, Judy and Boyette, you remember when we prayed over that, those young girls and one of them had an evil spirit and she was set free instantly. She just, just, just crumbled to the floor and she got up, she didn't know what was going on, but she was set free. And why? Because all authority has been given to Jesus Christ who has now given it to us. We got the authority back. It was given to Adam and Eve, they lost it. Now Jesus has come back and he's returned it into the hands of his subjects, his loyal subjects, his royal subjects. Now what should be our response to all of this? Well. Very simply this, pray every day. I, I've just included uh, two of the, of the elements of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. This is what you're praying every day. You're praying for God's kingdom to come to your, your family members who don't know Christ. Is everybody still praying for your family members that don't know Christ? You keep praying for them. Pray that God's kingdom will come to their hearts and name them by name. And then you pray, and God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ does the will of God every time. That's what holiness is, by the way. Holiness is doing the will of God every time. And then it's no coincidence that at the end of the prayer, Jesus tells us to pray and lead us not into temptation. That is, Jesus, don't let us fail the tests. Help us to pass the test. Adam and Eve failed the test. God, help me not to fail the test. Are you getting this? 
Jesus didn't fail the test. You don't need to fail the test because you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. God, help me to pass the test. Lead us not into temptation. And do what? And deliver us from the evil one. Because I'm going to tell you, from from the day that you became a Christian to the day you die, Satan is after you, trying to destroy you. But the good news is that he has no power and no authority over you, and you don't need, be, need to be afraid of him. Don't fear Satan, fear God. Amen? Amen? So this is what we do. We pray every day that God's kingdom will come and that his will will be done. And then what do we do? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Here, here's my friend is where so many Christians, in fact, I'd say all Christians make mistakes, is that we're so worried about our things, our stuff, our money, our job, our food, our clothing, our shelter, that we get caught up with the things of this world and Jesus says, don't do it. Don't give in to the temptation to get your eyes on the things of this world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep seeking first the kingdom of God. And as you're seeking the kingdom of God, as you're seeking to do the will of God every day, God's going to provide for you and meet your every need. And folks, I am standing before you as one who has lived this out, and I can tell you that God has never failed me yet. Not even once. He has always been true to his word. And so I keep on seeking the kingdom of God and keep asking God, what is your will? And Lord, help me to do it. We had somebody, uh, a young, some young guys over on Christmas Eve. They had no place to go. They came to our home. And, and one of them asked the question, what exactly is sin? And the reaction to some there were that, well, it's breaking the rules of God. No, it's not. That's, that's, that's not really a good definition of what sin is. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is failing to do the will of God, period. Adam and Eve had one rule, and they couldn't keep it. Moses comes along and gives 613 rules. They couldn't keep it. If you want to know the truth, Adam and Eve were called to do the will of God, and they chose to do their own will. So, folks, what, do we, what should our response be to this kingdom and to King Jesus? Very simple. I'm going to seek first his kingdom. I'm going to put his kingdom first. I'm going to do his will first. And I'm going to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, at the very end of the book of Matthew, Jesus now is ready to ascend into the Father. I want to read these words to you again. Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey everything that I've commanded them. Now listen, here's what most churches do. They teach their people rules, lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. That's not what Jesus said. He said, teach them to obey. This is, what, this is what being a Christian is all about. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It means you don't do your will, but you're obeying the will of God. That's Christianity in a nutshell. Now, we're going to take communion in just a moment, but as we prepare to take communion, I want to just share with you what Jesus said just before he went to the cross. 
He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That moment that Jesus rose from the dead was the establishment of the new, the reestablishment of the new kingdom. And so folks, the good news is that when you and I die, we're gonna be ushered into the very presence of God and then we will enter the new Eden. You call it heaven, Every Jew understands that heaven means Garden of Eden. We're going to be spending eternity in the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah. So we're going to, uh, we're going to just show you a quick video clip. We're going to prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning. And uh, I'd like you just to pray and ask God to, to search your heart. Folks, if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, King Jesus would have you forgive that person whoever it is that has caused you grief or sorrow, forgive them and pray for them and search your heart. If you haven't been serving God, living for God the way you ought to, folks, understand as Jesus said, this is for all of you. Ask God to cleanse you of unrighteousness and then we'll take the communion together. Father, as we, as we gather now around your table and we remember the words of King Jesus, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Father, there is no kingdom without the death of Jesus. As we take these elements now, may it be with gratitude, but may it be a reminder to us, Lord, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This world is not our home. May this be a reminder to us until you return that we belong to you, we don't belong to this world. And Father, we pray that whatever may be standing between us and you, Lord, that you would show it to us that we may prayerfully remove that obstacle. If it's a love of money, if it's a fear, if it's a concern of the things of this world, worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Forgive us, we pray, O oh God. Help us get focused on you. Help us to, to ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do? And help us, O oh God, by the power of the Spirit 
to walk in obedience to the King of Kings. Father, thank you now for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and King. And this meal we have is is the supper of the King. It's the supper of the King's royal subjects. Yes, Lord, we are your royal subjects. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's prepare our communion element, shall we? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it after he had given thanks. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let us take it together, shall we? And let's prepare the wine now. In the same manner, after he broke the bread, he took the cup and said, this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Let's take it together, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your faithfulness. We thank you that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have been empowered by heaven. Yes, we have the very spirit of the living God dwelling within us, enabling us, O God, to properly be what you intended humanity to be, a people who reflect the God of the universe. Your spirit living in us enables us to be like Christ, Father, help us to be aware of this fact as we leave this place today. We are children of the King of Kings. We are royal subjects. Our job is to do the will of of our King. So give us the grace to, to seek your kingdom first above all else. Show us, Lord, those areas that we're getting distracted and show us those areas, Lord, that are getting in the way of our relationship with you and our obedience to you. So we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said it with me. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go serve King Jesus.